chapter 2 this morning, Matthew chapter number 2, and uh, it's good to be back in church, and thank you church for the, um, just the honoring over and over of our time here, and uh, it has been a wild ride uh, these last nine years, but very rewarding. And uh, I'm just curious, just just for kicks and giggles, I didn't know what we were doing this this morning, um, but just um, let, me, let me ask you, if you were here, all right, nine years ago when we came, all right, now I'm, I'm going to ask you to participate here, if you were here nine years ago when we came to Crossroads, um, would you please stand just for a moment? If you were here nine years ago when we came to Crossroads, will you stand? Thank you guys. Thank you for being here and uh, thank you for staying here and uh, being encouragement. Yeah, <laughs> praise the Lord. You know? And uh, I, I'm thankful. Uh, you know, we had eight men in the pulpit committee originally and uh, one of them is with the Lord now and one of them lives in Mississippi now and all the, re- the other six of them are still here at Crossroads and I'm very, very thankful for that. And uh, it's a testimony to the church. Uh, that they would stand behind the man in the pulpit uh, faithfully. And I appreciate your faithfulness uh, to us these past nine years. And uh, December the 8th is our actual anniversary of the first Sunday that we came, second Sunday in December. And so we're looking forward to what the Lord has for us in the next nine years here at Crossroads to be a part of that and to see what God has done and what He will continue to do. Uh, If you would have said, man, hey, nine years in, you're going to be starting a Christian school and the church will almost double in size and all these different things, uh, man, would you still go? Man, I probably would have run the other way. (laughs) Uh, But it's awesome to see uh, Psalm 118.23 is one of my favorite verses. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. And I step back every single week amazed at what God is doing. And what he has done. And people's lives who have been changed. And uh, pe- families who mom and dad didn't come to church together. Or mom was here and now dad's here and now kids are here. It's just exciting to be a part of that. And uh, I think we all know that it has nothing to do with the person whose name is on the sign. It has everything to do with the power of God. And uh, God blesses faithfulness. Even when we're unfaithful. Oh come thou unfaithful. Even when we're unfaithful God is still faithful to us. So uh, Matthew chapter 2, Matthew chapter 2 is we're going to begin our new series today uh, entitled, Do You Need a Christmas Miracle? Do you need a Christmas miracle? I want us to focus the next several weeks on uh, a couple different people in the Christmas account and who are all looking for something specific. Uh, each of us know in our own lives that we have needs Uh, We have needs, whether they're public or private. But when it comes to needing a miracle, miracles are very personal. Miracles are very intimate. Something that we may not share with a lot of people. A lot of people might not know all the details. And in each of these situations that we'll talk about, each of these people had a need. And in Matthew chapter 2, we see a group of men who came to Jerusalem and they had a need. They didn't know what they were looking for. They didn't know who they were looking for, but they knew what they were hoping for. They knew what they were hoping for, and they came to find someone that they had read about, studied the stars and scripture about, and uh, they only imagined whether or not it could be real, that he had come in their lifetime. And the wise men longed for an answer, and that's where we're going to talk today. And maybe you in your life today, you need an answer. 
You need God to do something. You need God to show up. You need God to speak to you. And you're waiting on an answer. Maybe it's physical. Maybe it's personal. Maybe it's uh, private. Maybe it's financial. Maybe it's marital. But you need an answer. So as we begin this series, I want to kind of walk through what it will take to get a Christmas miracle. And I hope that you'll follow along with us throughout these messages and that they'll give you some hope this Christmas season that God wants you to have a Christmas miracle miracle. Uh, Let's look at Matthew chapter number two and uh, begin reading in verse number one and then we'll pray together. The Bible says, now when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, there came wise men from the east to Jerusalem saying, where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and are come to worship him. When Herod the king had heard these things, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he demanded of them where Christ should be born. Let's pray this morning to start the service. Father, we thank you for the day and thank you for the beauty and the music that we've sung. And Lord, how it encourages our hearts. But Lord, I ask that you please take your word today and change our hearts. Help us to see how we can draw close to you, how our lives can bring you ultimate glory. Lord, please bless our time this morning. Lord, please speak to my heart. Please cleanse me of any sin that's unconfessed in my heart and life. Please purify me as I preach to your people this morning. We are a needy people today. And Lord, I ask that you please help us to see what we truly need this Christmas season. And Lord, help us to come to the source of all of our answers in you to get what we need. Lord, I ask that you please speak to our hearts collectively. And if there's someone here today that needs you, Lord, they need a relationship with you today. Lord, help them to call out to you for salvation. We love you and thank you for loving us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. If you're taking notes, I want you to write down number one, the determination. The determination. Contrary to the songs that we sing, uh, these men were most likely not kings that we see in the story. uh, Nor were there three of them. Uh, Most likely not three, even though we have three gifts represented, uh, most likely not three of them. Uh, I could tell you that I received five Christmas gifts, uh, but that doesn't necessarily mean that I got them from five different sources. All right, we understand that. Uh, My wife could have given me four of them. My kids could have got me one. Uh, My dog, ironically enough, gives the best Christmas gifts because he always knows what I want. And uh, it's just uncanny how that Rucker just knows. I mean, even at 13 years old, he knows every single time exactly. I don't know how that works out, but uh, he knows me really, really well. Uh, So it's a blessing. Uh, But different sources, different people, but these men were determined to get an answer to their question. We see in verse number one, the arrival. The arrival. See, Jesus was already born. Matthew gives us the detail here uh, that there are two arrivals. Jesus had already been born in the timeline, so Luke 2 has already happened. The shepherds had already come to see Jesus. These men were mostly magi, scholars who studied the stars. They, we, we would call them today astrologers, people who studied the sky. And Jesus was born in Bethlehem, but these men arrived in Jerusalem. And it would only make sense that the king of the Jews would be born in a kingly city, and that was Jerusalem. Jerusalem was the city, the city of kings. So they show up in a kingly city. They came from the east, the Bible tells us. So these were most likely Gentile men of Gentile descent, most likely from Persia or Babylon. 
And we see that Babylon had wise men like this in Daniel chapter number 2. And Daniel and his friends said the decree went forth that the wise men should be slain. And they sought Daniel and his fellows to be slain. This is Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, Hadani, Azariah, Mishael. We know who these men are. They were a part of this group of wise men from Babylon, the Magi. These men in Matthew chapter 2 were wealthy Gentiles. Which is amazing to me because of what it says in Luke chapter number 2 and verse number 10. When the angel is speaking to the shepherds and the angel says, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. All people. Not just some people. Uh, Not just Americans. Uh, Not just whites. Not just blacks. Not just uh, Native Americans. All people. Jesus died for all, capital A, capital L, capital L. He died for all people, from simple Jewish shepherds to get the news first in Luke chapter 2, all the way to wealthy Gentile astrologers here in Matthew chapter 2. God reveals himself to every person, regardless of your status. And if you're here today without Christ, he is revealing himself to you this morning. That is his goal. And the question becomes, what will you do with what you know? Jesus came for you to have hope. But do you have it? Jesus came to answer and meet your needs. And if you don't have him, you have a major need. You need a Savior. The arrival. They arrived. Jesus had already arrived. But then number two, we see the admission. Look at verse number two. Saying, these men from the east... Where is he that is born king of the Jews? They came with a question. Where is he? They were seeking a newborn king to worship. They had come some six to nine hundred miles away from, to get to Jerusalem from Babylon. The trip would have taken months to take, especially considering that these men had no idea where they were going. And you say, not much has changed. Uh, But uh, these men had no idea where they were going and didn't know what to expect as they traveled. But they came expecting to find an answer in Jerusalem. Uh, Maybe you've been asking the question. And maybe you've said, well, you know, Pastor, I'm waiting for an answer and you haven't gotten it yet. You haven't found that answer. Could it be that you're looking in the wrong place like these men were looking in the wrong place? And see, we know that providentially they arrive in Jerusalem, but they were still in the wrong place. They were six miles up the road. They were too far out of way. They did not know. And they showed up in the obvious place, and they were close, but not close enough. You know, the Bible tells us that people look in all of the wrong places even today. Proverbs chapter 14 and verse 12 says, There is a way which seemeth right unto a man, But the end thereof are the ways of death. Think of the spiritual comparison here. There are people who believe that they're going to heaven just because they come to church. Just because they've been baptized. Just because they lived a good life or they love Jesus. But they've never surrendered their heart to him. You're close, but not close enough. See, the major difference in knowing about Jesus and knowing Jesus is about 18 inches. The distance from your head to your heart. 18 inches. Hey, and friend, 18 inches is the difference in going to heaven and going to hell. 18 inches. 
And maybe that's you. You're close to the answer that you need, but you still haven't found it. See, finding the answer begins with admitting that you haven't found the answer. Uh, what, who was it, Einstein, that said the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over and over again, expecting a different result? If you keep looking in the places you're looking and you haven't found the answer yet, chances are excellent. If you keep down that path, you won't find the answer. You have to admit that you haven't found it. Would you start right there and this morning say, you know what? I have a need and I haven't found it. That's starting point. Point number one. Would you start there? And then we see not only the arrival and the admission, but number three, we see the ambition. Look at verse two again. Where's he that's born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and are come to worship him. These men tell Herod the king what their intentions were. Hey, we came to respect, to pay homage, to worship this newborn king. And they might not have been coming specifically to pledge their faith in him, but they were coming to bow the knee to him. They were coming to respect him. And this is obviously years after the Babylonian exile. Years before the Babylonians had come in and destroyed the temple and burned the city with fire and took all of these people captive. So this is obviously years after this has taken place. But it did not stop these men from looking for the king and longing to worship him. The question for us is who is it today that you long to worship? Who is it in your life? See, the object of your worship is whatever holds the key to your heart. The object of your worship is whatever holds the key to your heart. That could be a relationship, a career, an addiction. We all worship something every single day. But what is the right thing to worship? See, you might not know what you need today. You might not know what the answer is. But what your worship, what you worship will shape what you need. What you worship will shape what you need. See, Jesus told the woman at the well, John chapter 4, verse 22, he said, Ye worship, ye know not what. We worship what we knoweth, for salvation is of the Jews, but the hour cometh and now is when the true worshiper shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for the Father seeketh such to worship him. God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. See, if you worship a relationship today, and not Jesus, you'll always need another relationship to feed that need. If you worship money, you'll never be satisfied with the dollar that you have. Uh, if you worship an addiction, you can never have enough of that addiction. But if you worship Jesus, then you know that you need Him. Because He in Himself, hey, He is an addiction. When you fall in love with Jesus, nothing else satisfies. He is what we need. And they came to worship Him because they knew that they needed Him. Do you need Him today? We see the determination. They were determined. Hey, we're going to find Him and we're going to worship Him. We're going to pay our respects to the newborn King. But when they said they were determined, it also brought about, number two, a disturbance. Let's look at the disturbance. Just because they knew what they wanted didn't mean that everyone else was thrilled about it. And as you're searching, you might experience some of these things. Number one, we see the subtle opposition. The subtle opposition. Look at verse 3. When Herod the king, he's a king too, remember. 
When Herod the king had heard these things, he was troubled in all Jerusalem with him. There are two kings in this story. The Roman appointed king of the Jews and the God appointed king of all kings. Two kings. And Herod was troubled. We would say jealous that these men weren't coming to worship him. He was the only rightful king of the Jews, at least in his mind, that was worthy of worship. And this new king, this new birth was a threat to his way of life, a threat to his kingdom. As one commentator said, they had awoken a tiger, but with diabolical cunning he didn't roar, he purred. He didn't roar, he purred. See, when you have needs in your life and you begin trying to find out the answer, you begin searching and seeking, there will be some who try to discount your need. You know, hey, you know, why do you need counseling? Your marriage is great the way that it is. Uh, what, you know, you're not a bad parent. Your kids are just misguided. You know, uh, you're just under a lot of stress. And that's why you lost your cool, blew your testimony. You're just under a lot of stress. You don't need help. Just figure it out on your own. We discount other people's needs. But the problem is you don't know other people's hearts. And unless you know their heart, you truly can't understand their need. And this king, Herod, did not fully understand their need. He wanted to diagnose it for himself. Remember Jesus said in John 16 verse 33, These things I have spoken unto you, that in me you might have peace. In the world you shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Herod acted genuinely, but inside he wanted this new king eliminated. He wanted him gone. And a challenge for us as the church is if you show concern to someone who's in need, let it be genuine. Let it be genuine. Don't be fake or put on. Let it be genuine. Romans chapter 12 and verse number 9 says, Let love be without dissimulation. You know what that means? It means let your love be genuine. Let it be real. Don't let it be something that's fake or something you put on and take off. Uh, you know, kind of like this mask. You know, I get to be a pirate today. I've been Batman before, and today I get to be a pirate today, okay? So when I, someone comes up to me and says, hey, pastor, will you pray for me? And I say, all right, let me put on the, the pastor, I love you mask. You know, God bless you. You know, it's hard to do with a pirate face, isn't it? Uh, <laughs> You know, I love you and God loves you. And, you know, I, I just, I, I know that God's going to do something special through this trial. But deep down, I'm like, you know what? I'm hungry. I, I just wish you'd shut up so I can go get something to eat. Uh, I, I really don't care. I, I just, I, I, let me talk to the next person. Just go, just go. Because that's our flesh. Our flesh says, move along, move along, move along. But that's not the Spirit. The Spirit says, hey, let love be genuine. Let your love be something that's real. And when someone has a need, whether or not you understand their heart, you understand their need, there is still an obligation as the people of God to be concerned and to care. Don't try and misdiagnose, this, misdiagnose it or try and recalculate it and try and diminish the value of someone else's need when you don't know their heart behind it. Herod truly did not understand. And the church can be indifferent towards Jesus when we don't prioritize him or give him the place that he deserves in our lives. 
we can discount who he is. When someone comes and says, man, I'm, I'm going to take my next step. And we say, yeah, we'll see how long it lasts. Or someone says, man, I'm just so excited about serving the Lord. And we say, ah, you'll get over it. You know, when we discount people's hearts and their desire to do things for God, who's the problem? Them or us? Now, we've got to evaluate where we are spiritually and make sure that our hearts are right. See, there's subtle opposition. We might not boldly come out and say, you know, just move along. And I want to talk to the next person. Or I want to talk to my friend, three people down. Or, uh, you know, just I'm hungry. We might not say that, but is that how we act? When someone comes to talk to us and I'm looking at the next person or my eyes are constantly deflecting, we're not pouring into the person right in front of us, we're missing out on what God has for us. We're missing an opportunity that God has given to us to be an encouragement, to be a blessing, and to help someone else who needs that help. The subtle opposition. Number two, we see the submissive obligation. Look at verse 5. And they said unto him, now remember Herod goes to the chief priests, the scribes. Hey, where is he? Where is he, where is he supposed to be born? Study your scripture because he wasn't a believer. Study the word. Where is he supposed to be born? Where are these men looking for? In verse number 5, they said unto him in Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet, and thou Bethlehem in the land of Judah art not the least among the princes of Judah, for out of thee shall come a governor that shall rule my people Israel. Herod approaches them, and they didn't like Herod. But they were submissive to Herod. They knew that the house of David would produce yet another king. But they didn't believe it enough to follow the Magi to see it for themselves. They simply submitted out of obligation. You see, today, if Jesus really is the king of all kings, that means that you and I aren't. If Jesus is the king, it means that we're not means there's someone else that we have to give an answer to. But are you simply submitting to him like these guys did? Are you submitting to Jesus today like these men submitted to Herod? You know, we're not full on board. We're not, we don't even like you, Herod. But we're going to submit because we're afraid of you. We're afraid of who you are. Matthew Henry said, All the grace contained in the Bible is owing to Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. And unless we consent to him as our Lord... We cannot expect any benefit by him as our Savior. Did you realize what that said? If you're not going to call him your Lord, then why do you call him your Savior? Because Jesus is both. He's your Savior and he's your Lord. That means when he saves you, he expects for you to follow him. There's an expectation. He died for you, so you're kind of on the hook. If he bought your salvation and he paid for your soul then you have a responsibility to follow him. In Luke chapter 6, verse 46, Jesus said it plainly, Why call ye me Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I say? In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, and verse 19 and 20, What know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which ye have of God? Ye are not your own, for you are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and your spirit, which are God's. See, there's a fine line between believing in Jesus and betraying Jesus. If I were to say and ask you to tell me who I'm talking about, and I gave you this description, who is someone in the Bible who was prophesied in the Old Testament, revealed in the New Testament, who did miracles and went about preaching and doing good deeds, who traveled with other men who had a similar purpose and intent, whose name starts with a J and ends with an S, 
the most obvious candidate that I would be discussing is Jesus. But what if I really meant Judas? Because the exact same description applies to Judas. Did miracles, traveled around preaching with 12 other men, similar intent and purpose, and all did good deeds. But at the end of the day, Jesus was the answer. Judas was a hypocrite. Judas was fake. He wasn't the real thing. He just looked the part. You know, we all know that Judas betrayed Jesus, wasn't one of his. And there are people in churches just like Judas today, just like him, that only submit to Jesus because I feel obligated to. They don't really love Jesus. I, I, I like Jesus. I'm not against him by any stretch. But, you know, I just, I'll submit, I guess. I guess, I, I guess if I have to, if pastor's going to make me, hey, I'm not going to make you. You either submit to him or, as your Lord and Savior or you don't. Nobody's going to make you. That's a decision of your heart. What will you say? Are you submissive? Uh, do you have that submissive obligation? We say, I'm just going to submit because it's, yeah, it's, it's what we do. It's a whole lot more than that. And then the third thing is there were secret opportunities. Look at verse 7. The sad part about all this is the way in which Herod summoned the wise men. It says, secretly, verse 7, Then Herod, when he would privily or privately, secretly called the wise men, he inquired of them diligently what time the star appeared. He's trying to pinpoint a timeline of events. Verse 8, And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search diligently for the young child. When you have found him, bring me word again that I may come and worship him also. We know that Herod had an ulterior motive. Others didn't know it, but we know that Herod had a desire to wipe him out. He wanted to eliminate Jesus. He wanted to maintain his throne. He didn't want people to know his true intentions. And people may not know the intentions of your heart, but the Bible tells us that the Word of God reveals your heart. Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 12, But the Word of God is quick and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit, joints of the mirror, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Why is there such a revolt against the Word of God in our culture? Because people don't want their heart to be revealed. People want to keep the status quo. Hey, I don't want people to know who I really am on the inside. I don't want people to know what I really think. And I sure don't want God to know and to broadcast it. Here's your newsflash. God, God already knows your heart. He already knows who you are. He already knows what's going on inside. And that's why many people today don't respect the Bible because it reveals who they ultimately are. And when we hear the Bible or read it, what is our response? Proverbs chapter 1, verse 5, A wise man will hear and will increase learning, and a man of understanding shall attain unto wise counsels. James chapter 1, verse 22, But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. They were determined. There was a disturbance. But then lastly this morning we see the direction. Look at verse 9. They had their heading. They knew where to go to get their answer. But what was required to get there? What did they have to do to get there? You know, today if you have a need, what do you need to do to get an answer? It takes commitment, number one. But 
It, there's commitment to three things. We see them here in the wise men. First thing, there was a commitment to follow. Look at verse 9. It says, When they had heard the king, they departed, and lo, the star which they saw in the east went before them till it came and stood over where the young child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceeding great joy. As they begin down the road with their mind of what they've heard and where they're supposed to be, the star reappears. And it follows them. And rather than following their direction, they follow what they had seen in the past and what God had put before them to follow. Now, this is a full point to develop, but just realize that sometimes things that we're supposed to do don't always make sense. Follow a star, Pastor? I mean, that. come on. Now, I see stars all, all night, unless there's little blinking red lights with them, that it's an airplane, those stars don't move very fast. This star led these men, and they were committed to follow the star. Uh, astronomers believe that the star that appeared was actually a conjunction of the planets Jupiter and Saturn that took place two years before the birth of Christ. In the year leading up to Jesus' birth, Mars actually aligned with the other two planets and produced a star. It's an event that happens only every 800 years. And it just so happened, just so happened, coincidentally, it appeared the year leading up to Christ's birth. You know, may or may not have happened that way. God can use anything. God can make new stars because he's done it before. But a star, and they followed it. But they had to put away earthly reasoning and follow something that they didn't understand by a novel concept, by faith. By faith. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7, For we walk by faith and not by sight. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 38, Now the just shall live by faith. And the only way for you and I to follow God is by taking steps of faith. The only way that we follow God is by taking steps of faith. The only way that you and I ever get to be a true disciple of Christ be, begins with being committed to the Word of God. David Platt said, My prayers that people will see that following Jesus costs you everything you are and everything you have. And my prayers that people will see that Jesus is worth it. Are you committed to following Him? Number two, the commitment to fall. Commitment to follow Him, but number two in verse 11 the commitment to fall, look at what they did. When they were coming to the house, they saw the young child with Mary his mother and fell down and worshipped him. When they had opened their treasures, they presented unto him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. See, once you find what you're looking for, what's your next step? Once you get there, they could have worshipped those who were involved in the story. Mary, the mother of Jesus, was there. Joseph, the carpenter, was there. All these people who had come in that evening, in that time period, had heard about Jesus' birth, as miraculous as it was. They could have worshipped other people, but they were there for one purpose, to worship the newborn king. That's why they were there. See, don't allow the allures of the world to distract you from what you need. You need that newborn king. You need him. You don't need the uh, superficial. You don't need, and it's wild as it sounds, you don't need the church. In comparison to Jesus, you don't need the church. You need Jesus. Now, the church becomes a vital part of that growth and development. But if you're saying, eh, church or Jesus, 
Put the church over on the side and choose Jesus. Because the church will not save you. Jesus will save you. The church will not develop your life. Now, get what I'm saying. The church will not develop and cultivate your growth in Christ if you don't have Jesus. The church is not helping you at all. You, oh man, I, I'm going to network and I'm going to have all these good friends and I, I'm going to have all these great fellowship opportunities and man, I might even get to serve or sing in the choir next Sunday, by the way. Uh, I might get to do all these things, but if you don't have Jesus, you're missing the most vital part. You have nothing if you don't have Him. He is everything. Lutzer said, if we haven't learned to be worshipers, it doesn't really matter how well we do anything else. That's true. If we haven't learned how to worship Him and Him alone, it doesn't matter how good you do anything else. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, But you're a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, and holy nation, a peculiar people, that... For what purpose? That ye should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. You're saved for a purpose. Not to sit, but to serve. To show whose you belong to. It's not how awesome we are, it's how awesome he is. That's the purpose of our life. Are you falling before him? Are you committed to follow him? Are you committed to fall before him? However he leads you, are you going to fall before him? And then number three, lastly this morning, there has to be not only a commitment to follow, a commitment to fall, but there has to be a commitment to forsake. A commitment to forsake. Look at verse 12. Oh, excuse me, verse 11. I'm sorry, verse 12. I can't even read my Bible. That's why I need a new Bible. Uh, but verse 12. And being warned of God in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed in their own country another way. They came, they worshipped, they brought him gifts, and they went home. Now, let's stop. Inventory. What had they been commanded to do? Hey, go down there, find out where Jesus is, and when you find it, send me word that I can come and worship. Remember Herod? That was the instruction. So when they go home another route, they bypass Jerusalem to get home, they're denying what has been told to them. They're saying, hey, don't, we're not going back there. We're going to follow what God has said. They came, they worshiped, they brought gifts, then they went home. They've been told. They were warned to forsake what they had been told and go home instead. Sometimes what seems to make sense isn't what God wants you to do. Sometimes the thing in your mind that says, man this, I, man, this is what I should do. What if God says do something else? Yeah. Are we going to follow our instinct? Think about that. Are we going to follow us? Or are we going to follow Him? Which one do we forsake? And I, I'm, you know, I, I really know what I, I want to do. But, and I know what Jesus has given me peace about and what direction I should go. But, you know, I'm going to go over here because this is what's comfortable. Following me is always comfortable. Me following me. Why? Because I'm used to doing it. Sad to say. I'm good at it. Hey, I have never led me astray. It's all these other people, you know. 
But at the end of the day, sometimes God has a different plan that He's working, and we just need to trust Him. But can we forsake what we think is right to do for the sake of following Him? That's what it comes down to. See, there will be times in your life and in mine where we're convinced that we are right. And you might have to do something uncomfortable because of the Lord's direction. It would have been really easy to just, hey, follow your footprints right back to Jerusalem for these men and talk to Herod and do exactly what he said. But it wasn't what God said. Remember when Jesus told the disciples in Matthew chapter 4 and verse 19, hey, if you follow me, I will make you fishers of men. Now, contrary to what we see in The Chosen, where, hey, yeah, we're going to catch men. I don't believe they had any idea what Jesus was talking about. Catch, what, are you, what is that? What does that even look like? Catch men. I mean, that's so foreign. I mean, we're fishermen, Jesus. I mean, come on. They had no concept fully what he was talking about. But you know what they were focused on? We're going to follow Jesus. And they weren't concerned about what he was going to make them. They were concerned about following him. And church, we need to be concerned about following him. Not the end result. Hey, we're going to heaven. That's the end of the story. We don't know what it's going to be like. We have a couple of glimpses from scripture, but you can't describe what heaven's going to be like. So stop thinking about where we're going and focus on following Jesus. That's where we need to be. Follow him. They had never done anything like that before. These wise men were used to following what these dignitaries had told them. So this was foreign to them that they would forsake that. But God had spoken. And you know what they did? Contrary to what they'd ever been taught or what they'd ever done, they followed God's advice. Now that's why Jesus said, Matthew 16, 24, to the disciples, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. The last quote that I have for you and be on the screen in your notes. Following Jesus doesn't always make sense. It's sometimes difficult. But if he is honored and gets the glory, nothing else matters. Hey, our retirement account doesn't matter. Our job title doesn't matter. Hey, at the end of the day, where we live, what we eat, none of those things matter. Our objective is to follow and honor Jesus Christ. And if we do that, and he gets the glory. Don't worry about anything else. Don't worry about anything else. Worry about following Jesus. Hey, do you have a need today? Do you need a Christmas miracle that starts with admitting that you have a need? And then it begins with saying, you know what? I'm going to commit to follow him. I'm going to commit to, as I follow him, I'm going to fall before him. And I'm going to say, Lord, whatever you say goes. And then I'm going to forsake other things. When I say yes to Jesus, sometimes that means that I have to say no to something else. That may mean family. That might mean friends. That might mean church. That might mean other, other these things that pull for my attention. But at the end of the day, following Jesus is our objective. And if I follow Jesus, I get to hear, well done, thou good and faithful servant. And at the end of my life, that is the greatest accomplishment that we could ever receive.
is to stand before him one day and hear, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Do you have a need today? The answer to all of our needs is Jesus. Heads are bowed. Eyes are closed. Let me ask you this morning, as we have our time of reflection and invitation, and our personal workers are getting ready to move, and uh, our team is going to sing here in just a moment. We're going to sing together, but let me start by asking a very simple question. Do you know what you need? Do you know that you even have a need today? Maybe you're here and you say, Pastor, you know, I, I know that I'm saved, and I know that Jesus has forgiven my sins, and I know that that's been covered, but, man, I've just got some things that are piling up. And I need Him to do something special. I need Him to do something miraculous. Maybe that's what you need. You know, in the quietness of this moment, would you simply admit that you have a need that only Jesus can help? Would you take the time to do that? And maybe you're here and you're on the opposite side of the coin, and you say, Pastor, I'm here, and I, I don't know that I have Jesus. I'm just not sure. I don't know that I've ever invited Jesus into my life and and said, hey, I want him to be my Lord and Savior. See, he's the God of the universe whether you rubber stamp it or not. The question is, are you a part of his family? And he's invited you to be a part of his family, but have you accepted the invitation? And maybe you're here and you say, hey, Pastor, I, I don't know that I've done that. It's so simple. It's admitting that you have a need, number one, which we've already talked about. You are a sinner. You were born a sinner. And nothing you could do could change that fact. But you're a sinner. We're all sinners. But Jesus died for your and my sin. The Bible says that if we'll ask him to apply what he did on the cross for our sin to our heart and life, that he'll forgive us. So salvation is admitting who you are in his sight. That you're not perfect, you're a sinner. That you believe that Jesus died in your place on the cross. And that you would simply ask him to save you. Would you simply do that right now? If that's your need, would you, dear Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner. Would you simply ask him, I know that I'm a sinner. And I know that if I stay the way that I am, that I don't deserve to spend eternity with you. I deserve because of my sin to be separated from you. But thank you for dying on the cross for my sin. Thank you for taking my place on the cross. And then invite him to take over your life. Hey, Lord, I know that I can't do this without you. I need you. I need you. And simply call out to him and ask him to save you. That's what salvation is. And then encourage, know that he will encourage you to lead you and guide you along the way. You're not in this thing alone. Hey, he wants to lead you. But do you want to follow him? That's the question of the day. And if you're here today and we can encourage you or pray with you or help you in any way, our personal workers would love to do that. Love to be a help to you. If you're here and you need to take a step or there's a decision that you need to make and you need to make it public, would you simply take that step today and follow him, committed to follow him, committed to fall and worship, and then committed to forsake? Hey, I'm not worried about what anybody thinks about me, says about me. I'm just going to follow Jesus. That is my goal. And I hope that is your goal today. Father, please bless our time of invitation. Lord, as our personal workers begin to make their way, if there's someone here today that needs to talk with someone, pray with someone, Lord, be encouraged by someone, Lord, help us simply to be the church. And Lord, help us to 
lovingly encourage our brothers and sisters in Christ. Lord, if there's one here today that doesn't know you as their personal Savior, Lord, they don't know that their sins have been forgiven. Lord, help them to talk to someone today. Help them to call out to you. And uh, Lord, if they have questions, Lord, help them to speak to someone before they leave. Lord, help them to get that settled. We all have needs, but we know that you are the answer to everything we need. Lord, please help us to talk to you today about whatever it is we need. Lord, please strengthen hearts, encourage homes. Lord, love on people. And Lord, please help them to see that they can have that Christmas miracle that they seek. We love you so much. Thank you for your great love that you love us with. In Jesus' name, amen. Stand with us, please. Our personal workers are down front. If you need someone to pray with you, if you need to come to the altar and pray, we're going to sing a song and uh, we're going to uh, sing together. Pastor Tim's going to lead us. You do what God wants you to do this morning.